Father, we want to hear from you today as we start off 2021. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you will hide me behind that cross so that Jesus is high and lifted up. Come into our midst now and bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The chorus of an old song titled, I Almost Let Go, says, So I am here today because God kept me. I'm alive today because of his grace. Oh, he kept me. God kept me. He kept me so I wouldn't let go. And as I looked over the past year and years, I realized today, and I hope you realize too, that that is my testimony. God has kept me so I wouldn't let go. God has proven himself to me over and over and over again. Why? So that when the going gets tough, I, you, don't let go. Can you identify the times in your life when God's mercy, God's faithfulness, God's healing, God's deliverance was demonstrated in your life and without a shadow of a doubt, you know it was nobody but God who had kept you and has brought you now to 2021. This morning I want to share with you my testimony and the testimony of others who have gone through such experiences where they know that their God has been faithful to them. The year 2021 is not going to be better for the world. But it's going to be good for God's children. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that this day, and I say this year, 2021 should overtake you as a thief. You're all children of the light. You're children of the day. We are not of night or of darkness. God wants to remind each and every one of us this morning as we step into the dawn of 2021, we are children of the light and we have nothing to fear. It is not going to be better for us because of our faithfulness. No, according to 2 Timothy 2.13, we have been faithless, but he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. It's because of the faithfulness of God. Why well, I can stand before you this morning and say God's people have a positive outlook for 2021. Our scripture reading says we are to trust in the Lord. We are to wait on the Lord. And I hope as we go into 2021, we're not running ahead of God. And we're not slowing down out of fear. 
but know that our trust is firmly planted and that God will see us through. As the last verse says, God does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. He will not forsake us because he never has. So this morning, I want to ask you a couple questions. I want to share with you some experiences. And I want to know what you would do in such situations. What would you do if your father goes into the hospital for just a simple procedure? The procedure seems to go relatively well. You go home, but it seems like things are not quite well. A day or two goes by, and before you know it, he's rushed back into the hospital, and he's in intensive care. The doctors don't seem to know what is going on. They cannot explain what is happening to him. No one seems to know. All we know is that he's getting more unstable as the days go by. You, not living at home, gets a call and say, you need to come quickly. Your dad is declining rapidly. He has gone from a 50-50 chance of making through this down to 25, and now he's down to 15% chance of making it through the night. Your friends and the rest of the family gather in the waiting room in the intensive care. And you remembered saying to a group of friends, I don't feel comfortable leaving here unless something big happens with my father's prognosis. I need to see a change before I can go back. You're saying this because your ticket was for three days. And on day three now, it seems as if you can't leave, you can't go back. Your father has a 15% chance of living. And so they all gathered around and they're praying and prayer after prayer is going up. Everybody's on pins and needles as they wait out the night. In the morning, the labs come through, they draw their blood and to everybody's astonishment, his numbers are going back up again. Suddenly he's getting better. The next day he goes from 15 to 25 to 50%. By the end of the week, your father has made a complete recovery. Family, I ask you, what would you do if you have seen and experienced that? What would you do if you had a child who was born two months premature and he's in the hospital waiting to come to full term? One day you're told by the doctors, he's having problems. He doesn't seem like he's keeping down his food anymore. Every time they feed him, within a couple minutes, it's all coming back up again. And now instead of gaining weight, he's losing weight. He was already premature, so he didn't have much weight to lose anyhow. One evening you go to visit as you normally do every day. 
and the team of doctors come. They bring you into a, a room where they're showing you all these pictures stacked against the wall. And they're saying, I think we have found out what is wrong with your child. It seems as if his intestines have twisted on each other. And now it's so tangled, they, can't, they won't come free. And so that's what's been preventing the food from going down. Your only option, they say, is surgery. Instantly, you know in your, in your heart, he cannot survive a surgery. He's just too frail. You ask for a second opinion, and they said, we have already did a second opinion. There's four of them. We have all concluded the same thing. Surgery is your only option. I asked for a day to pray about this before giving them an answer. They said, oh, you have until Wednesday. By Wednesday, we'll need to know if you're going to do surgery so we can make the necessary preparations. They said, and if you don't want to do surgery, maybe you can take them, your, your son down the road to U of M. Maybe they can do something else. U of M is an hour and a half away at best. And to go see my son every day? Oh, couldn't imagine that. So we go home and we pray. And I feel the peace that comes over you when you know God is answering. My son was not going to need surgery. But how do you tell the doctors? The only reason you're not going through with surgery is because you have prayed to your God and he says he doesn't need surgery. Have you ever tried talking to the, com the scientific community in those terms? Yes, they often just laugh you out. So I'm wrestling with this decision that we have made. He's not going to surgery. And wondering how I can say this to the doctors without feeling like I'm challenging their authority. My wife turns to me and says, Honey, you don't need to worry about this. God will give you the words you need to say if you need to say them. That gave me a little peace. And so we walk in. It wasn't long before, here they come down the hallway. And I see them coming towards us. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. They greet us, and before I can even say one word, they said, we have looked at his situation again. Remember they said they already looked and they weren't going to, it was not necessary. I'm wondering, what made you look again? He said, it seems that your son's intestines have untangled themselves. And he's taking down food now, it, and it seems you, he doesn't need to have surgery. Can you imagine our sigh of relief? So I ask you, what would you do 
if you have that kind of experience. Family, what are we supposed to do when we have these experiences? When you know without a doubt God answered the prayers of a group of family and friends and God answered a, a couple's prayer for their newborn child. Do you just chalk that up as luck? Can we deny the power and faithfulness of God? No. We need to put that on our wall of remembrance. We need to remember how God has led us, lest we forget his faithfulness to us. What do you do if you're taken at gunpoint from your neighborhood by a group of men? And you're thrown into a trunk and, and it seems like you're driving forever. You finally come and they drag you out and throw you in a cabin. They do unspeakable things to you. And then you hear them talking that they're going to have to kill you. In that moment, you cry out to your God and says, Lord, I still have children at home. Please, Lord, they need me. Save me. One of the perpetrators begins to plead with the other ones. No, let's not kill her. We'll just leave her out here in the middle of nowhere. So they leave her with no coat, nothing, and drive off. You have no idea where you are, which direction to go. And so you trust that inner voice that says, go this way. And you walk and you walk and you walk. Finally, you stumble upon a highway. You try to flag down somebody and a cab finally stops. You get in and he, you tell him where you want to go. And he says, honey, you're heading in the complete opposite direction. Needless to say, he takes you to your home that night. What do you do when you know you should have been dead? You could have frozen to de death. They could have shot you. And it was only because of God answering your prayer while you're here today. What do we do with those experiences? You get back from the war and you're suffering from extreme PTSD. Because you're a part of a fair group called the Death Squad, you did many horrible things that still haunts you to today. And to make matters worse, your wife is asking you for a divorce. In an attempt to make sense of it all, you took a few hits of your drug of choice and you take off in your car down the road. You're heading down M78 on Easter morning, going 55 miles an hour. 
for whatever reason you black out. And the next thing you know, you're colliding with a tree. And trees don't usually move. Your car bursts into fire or into flames. You try to remove your seatbelt, but it's jammed and you can't get out. But not really caring much because your life seems to be falling apart. You lay back down, waiting for death to come. Suddenly you hear your window being broken. Someone is yanking at the seatbelt, cutting out, cutting you out of the seatbelt and yanking you out the window. That day you broke a rib. You shattered your right hip and socket and forever damaged your short-term memories from the accident. Family, what are you supposed to do with such an experience? What are the chances on an Easter morning a farmer, instead of taking that day off, decides to go out and work in his field? And at the very corner of his field, What are the chances he would arrive just when your car is on fire? And they tell you he's the one who pulled you out because you lost track of everything. They tell you you've been transferred from two different hospitals and finally you settle in Kalamazoo. No one expected you to pull through, but you did. A year and a half later, you find yourself responding to a request for Bible study that this church sends out. What are the chances if it wasn't for God's faithfulness? What do you tell others when they're acting like there is no such thing as God and that he doesn't still work miracles? Do we hide in fear or do we stand up and say, my God has been faithful? Has he been faithful to you? Because he's been faithful to me. The reality is many of you have gone through such ordeals. And the faith you live by today is not a theoretical, it's not an intellectual faith. It's grounded and forged in personal experiences. And you know without a doubt, God has been faithful to you. So my question is, will you bury those experiences? Will you pretend they never happened? Will you forget how God has led you in the past? Or will you use them as a testimony to not just grow your faith, but the faith of others so that they too may get to know this God. We have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teachings in our past history. Do you have your wall of remembrance? Or have you forgotten how God has led you?
What do you do if you're driving from California to West Virginia and you're by yourself? On the last day of the journey, you decide to drive through the night, but exhaustion begins to take hold of you, and you try to push through it. You try to persevere. Have you ever done that? You're falling asleep, so first you turn up the music a little. Next thing you know, you're winding down a little window. You're slapping yourself. You're doing all sorts of things, anything, trying to stay awake. But soon enough, sleep is getting the best of you. And you find yourself nodding off, ultimately falling asleep. You veer off the road and it jolts you awake, but you're in the middle of the night, two o'clock. You manage to get the car back on the road. Thankful you hit nothing, you didn't damage the car. And so you're praising God. You're wide awake now, aren't you? Later that morning, a church member calls excited and then asking you, are you okay? Did something happen to you last night? And when you tell him about your experience, he informs you the Lord woke him up to pray for you at that very moment. Family, I ask again, what are we supposed to do when we have such experiences with our God? Do we chalk them up as luck and deny the power of God? No. We are to what? Put them on our wall of remembrance. We, like David, need to remember how God has led us. How God delivered me from the hands of the bear and from the lion. And you go confidently forward knowing that he will deliver you from the biggest challenge you have to face in 2021. God has not changed. God is still a prayer answering God. And he has promised he will never forsake his saints. So while the world is in turmoil about going forward, what this year is going to be like, I hope you all have your wall of remembrance. And I hope you are looking at them, reminding yourselves of how God has led you in the past his faithfulness to you in the past. So you will know without a shadow of a doubt, he will be faithful to you in the future. What do you do when you're down on your luck? You have nowhere to go. And so you, in desperation, you turn to an old friend who you thought you could trust and depend on, only to find out he is not that kind of a friend. And now 
Every fiber, every bean of your body is telling you your life is in danger. He starts beating on you. And the beating's getting worse. And somehow you know if I don't get out of here, I'm going to die. You prayed, Lord, if you get me out of this situation, I will turn back to you, Lord. I will follow you again. Does your God answer those kinds of prayers? The person sends you out to the car that you were working on he was working on. As you pass by, the hood was open and something catches you out of the corner of your eye. It's your phone. It's your ID that they had taken because they had no intention of letting you go. You pick them up and something says to you, keep walking. And you say, no. If I get caught, the beatings are going to get worse. So you pause, you hesitate, you are wrestling with this voice, and the voice says, keep walking. And you said, Lord, the only means of escape has to put me walk through before the window, and he's standing in the window. What do you do? The voice says, do you want to live? And you respond, yes. So you start to walk. He's calling your name, wondering what's taking you so long. And you keep walking. You see him standing there in the window, and you walk on by. Now you have another problem. It's eight miles to the nearest town. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're not dressed because you ran outside just to get something from a car. And now with just a little hood on, you're making this trip. It's hunting season and you see a hunter out there. You wonder, should I go ask this one for help? And the voice says no. As you're about to keep walking, another hunter comes running out and he's yelling his son's name. Didn't I tell you not to go out in the middle of the night going down to your grandma's house? It's hunting season. You can get hurt. He runs up to you and realizes this is not his son. You just happen to be the same height as his eight-year-old son. And you had put on your little hoodie that looks just like his. In the middle of apologies, you ask if he could take you to the nearest town, for which he said he would. But of course, he's looking very suspicious at you because who dresses the way they are in the middle of nowhere? What made you there? He's, you're not saying where you're coming from or nothing. You start to talk a little. And wouldn't you believe it, you guys are from the same town that you grew up in. And as you start to talk, you could see his suspicion is just fading away. And before you get to the nearest town, he asks you, where are you really going? You tell him. He picks up his phone, makes a phone call, and says, honey, 
I'm going to take this young girl a complete distance to her location. She agrees, and he takes you right where you're going. And I ask you, was that just luck? No. That was God looking out for you. That was God knowing what you need even before you ask. That's God wanting a relationship with you once again. And he has just proven himself to you. So what will you do with such an experience? Have you ever wondered why you felt a certain way about a specific subject when, you, when everyone else around you seems to have the complete opposite thought? And later you realize it's God preparing you for a future calling. I remember growing up and it seems I was just the odd one out. Everybody was talking about they're going to have, you know, well, we all wanted to get married and have, have their own kids. And it was like, I never felt I needed to have kids. It never mattered to me if I was to have my own or if I didn't have any. And yeah, that put me at odds with my friends. But now I know why. You see, God was preparing my path years before he was going to bless my family with guardianship of two beautiful young girls. And I've always felt if you are going to take care of children, you have to treat them like your own. Now, where did that come from? They were in our care for about six years. And then suddenly, our world seemed to have been shattered. Their biological mom had terminated our guardianship. And the court says we're going to give her a chance to see if she can get things together so she can have him back. That was not my problem. My concern was, what if she doesn't get her act together? What happens to the girls? And they said, because your guardianship has been terminated, you can't get them back. But if you become a foster parent, you have a better chance at getting them back. What do we have to do to be foster parents? Well, we have a course that happens every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. And if you're willing to take that, I can't even remember how long they said for, then you can become a foster parent, and it's a good chance then that you can get them back. I said, no, we don't miss church. Is there no other way? Is there no other day? They said, oh, we used to have it on Tuesdays and Saturdays, but it's only on Saturdays now. I said, we'll pray about it. And we set out to find another way. Because I had learned years before 
I don't give up church for anything. So we started looking into it, and we found out that if we were to get an attorney, there's a thing called permanent custody where the courts would treat my wife and I and their mother as married getting a divorce. I know it sounds weird, but they would see who best qualifies to have permanent custody, and then the other one would be given visitations, Again, just as if you're being divorced. But our attorney says, that's an uphill battle. I want you to know that. Because here in the state of Michigan, it's a very, very mother-friendly state. And they will bend over backwards to give mom a chance. We said to him, we understand. We'll just pray about it. We went through, it took months to go through all of this. I remember times he'd come to us and present another situation to us, and we'd have to say, we'll have to pray about it. I remember one time he came and said, you know, your best chance is if you guys were to go home and document all the things that mom has done that has not been in the best interests of the children so that when you present that to the court, they, you have a better chance. I said, thank you, we'll go home and pray about it. <laughs> we come back and said, no, nah, we're not going to do that. We would not feel right going to court, bad-mouthing mom, so we can have her children. And then it came, the courts were trying to decide visitation. And it was going to be one week here, the other week here. And instantly I'm remembering times when they would spend one day with mom. And it would take almost a whole week to get them back into a routine. And that was not going to work. Finally, the day of court comes. And I remember the day before, sorry, I'm praying to the Lord, Lord, please. Maybe I'm the one who's being selfish. Maybe I am the one who needs to let go. And I remember talking to the Lord and saying, I will accept whatever verdict you give me. However this goes down, as long as it is in the best interest of the girls. And so I go in to see the attorney and he says, this is probably going to be a two-day ordeal. She'll get one day to present her side and you'll get the other next day to present your side. And my wife says, nah, it's not going to take more than one day. My God is big. We end up down at the courthouse, and we're now waiting for this um, trial, whatever you want to call it, to begin. And the courts had assigned the girls 
their own attorney. And we see him come walking the first time we're seeing him. And he comes and he calls our attorney over and says, I need to talk with you. So they leave where we are and they head off to another room. I'm looking at my wife wondering, what on earth is that all about? Later he's coming back and he has this look of disbelief all over his body. And I'm like, what happened? What happened? He goes, you're not going to believe this. Mom has decided to drop the entire case. She doesn't want to pursue this anymore. And when it comes to visitation, she doesn't want the courts to be involved in it. She will talk to you guys personally and directly herself. Family, what do you do with that kind of experience? I said to the attorney, wait, wait a minute, something has to be wrong. No one fights this hard for so long just to at the last minute just say, I'm done with it. I'm not pursuing this anymore. And he's saying to me, no, it's just as I said, it's all. And I'm like, I can't, ex no, I have to explain, explain to me, tell me. What was supposed to be a two-day ordeal ended up we being in court. And all we had to say is, Your Honor, yes, we agree to all terms set forth. At that moment, I realized God had answered my prayer directly. I did not have to go before the court to badmouth the mother so I could have custody of her children. My wife calls my mother-in-law to tell her the good news. And she says, you know, I only had one prayer, one request of God in all of this. That if you guys were to get the children, it would come directly from the mother's mouth herself. My wife turns to me and says, it's funny. Because the only thing I didn't want was to have court-appointed custody. Every one of our prayers was answered. So again, I ask you, what am I? What are you going to do when you have seen God moving in your life when in no uncertain terms? Some might think I'm just arrogant or cavalier, that I'm being presumptuous, but I'm not considering myself lucky. I am trying to remember how God has led me in the past. I remember early last year, at the end of February, just as the COVID-19 pandemic was sweeping across the United States. And we had invited a guest speaker, Jem Castor. And he was leading out in our week of prayer. 
And then the following weekend, my wife and, and several of us here, a couple of us from here, went down to a prayer conference down in Indianapolis where 500 plus people gathered to pray for our church, for our families, and for our country. That conference almost never happened because that Friday when we arrived, one person in Indianapolis was positive. And for that, they were going to shut down everything. But God would have it. That conference went through. The next week, stay-at-home orders started trickling through. Our church attendance was dropped down to 125. Before we were one day into the next week, orders went out again and it was dropped down to 50. I remember us having intercessory prayer downstairs like we do every, two, every second, third, and fourth Sabbath. And we were down there praying, Lord, deliver us. We were claiming his promises that if we were to gather in his house and if we were to pray to him, he would hear us and he would save us. Family, God is still answering that prayer today. He has kept us so we wouldn't have to let go. So what is your testimony? How has God led you? Are you remembering? Are you recounting the experience is where you know without a shadow of a doubt it was God who has been leading you. And if God does not change, if he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, can we not trust him with 2021? Yes, we can. And so I encourage you to dig deep. Look on that wall of remembrance. Do not live your life in fear, but live your life in the presence of the faithfulness of your God. Because he has promised to never, never forsake his saints. It's God who has answered my prayers. It's God who has revealed himself to me throughout these years. And if you can remember God revealing himself to you in no uncertain term, I'm going to ask you to stand with me today as a testimony. Has God answered any prayers of yours where without a doubt you know it was him? Family, look around you. Look at the testimony around you. Our God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness towards us. 
Thank you, Lord, that even though we are unworthy, even though we have caused so much of these things on ourselves, you still answer prayers, you still forgive, you still heal, you still deliver, and you still let us know you are God. Lord, 2021 is going to be a challenging year for many. But Lord, I pray that your saints will remember your faithfulness. And I pray they will walk forward with confidence, knowing you still remain faithful. Lord, bless our families, bless our churches, bless, Lord, your ministry. There's still a work to be done, O oh Lord, and you need hands and feet to go out with confidence to finish this work you have given us. May we be found faithful, Lord, to our calling. May we be found doing your work. And may we be able to hasten your coming. Thank you again for all that you do. And we look forward, O oh Lord, to working with you, walking with you, living for you, shining for you, so that they may see our good works and glorify our Lord and Savior in heaven. May he be lifted up, may he be glorified, and we, may we be blessed as we follow him this year. I ask these things in the loving, matchless name of Jesus. Amen.